Well, good morning, everybody. Wow, I thought maybe we'd have to have this service out at the river. But there's a whole bunch of you. Great. If you have, if you have your Bibles, please take them and turn with me to the 19th chapter of John. We continue in this series we're calling the seven words from the cross. And this is the sixth in the series, the sixth word. And the word for this weekend is victory. Victory. Well, do you consider yourselves competitive? Do you like to win? I do. I love to win. I hate to lose. And you know, as I get older, the losing I hate the most, maybe some of you guys can relate to this, is losing to my wife at some board game. I just lose to somebody else, it's okay. Losing to her, can't stand it. And boy, does she revel in it, because she wins more than I do. I didn't like losing when I was a kid playing sports, and I just don't like it now. Well, there is a victory that all who trust and believe in God and Jesus Christ get to share in, and it is the victory of the cross. And today, if you don't consider yourself someone who has accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, ask yourself as you listen to this message, is this a victory that I would like to share in? When Jesus proclaimed victory, he didn't say, I win, I win. Instead, he said, it is finished. Well, that doesn't sound much like victorious words when you first hear them. But when you dig into their meaning, you will find that these are the most important words ever uttered. Not only do they promise a victorious future in heaven with the Lord, but they give us confidence that we can have victories right now over the everyday hardships and struggles of life, big or small. These victories aren't all going to come easy, but they're out there for the taking, all because of the cross. Well, let's first set the stage. The scene is the cross. John chapter 19, verse 28. Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that the Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, those witnessing the death of Christ, particularly the Roman soldiers and the religious leaders, they must have been thinking to themselves, finally, this rebel is dead. He's finished. But Jesus didn't say, I'm finished, did he? He said, it is finished. He wasn't finished as he proved three days later when he rose from the dead. So what was finished? Obviously, his undeserved suffering, his pain, his humiliation, those were finally finished. But there's so much more. Now, we're not sure if Jesus spoke these words in Aramaic or Greek, but the Greek phrase that the Bible gives us is actually one word. The word is tetelestai. 
tetelestai, and it's often translated to say it is accomplished. It gives us two vivid pictures, one of an artist completing a masterpiece and the other of a lowly servant completing his daily duties. Tetelestai, Jesus, the artist, and the servant. Well, what then did Jesus accomplish? What did he finish on the cross? Well, today we're going to look at the finished, accomplished, victorious work of Jesus from the viewpoint of five great truths on your outline. Truth number one, Jesus fulfilled the Scripture. He completed the story begun in the Old Testament. He put the finishing touches on God's masterpiece for redemption. Now, last week you heard Carlos talk about the fact that there are over 380 prophecies in the Old Testament that predict and promise that a Messiah is coming, one who would save the people. These messianic prophecies of the Old Testament then give us a glimpse of God, of what God is going to do. Then Jesus comes along and he completes the picture. And he proceeds not only to fulfill these prophecies, but to explain the meaning of them. Luke chapter 24, Jesus has died on the cross. He's risen three days later. He meets some of his disciples on the road. And verse 27 says this, And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. Later on, in verse 45, Jesus is teaching again. He says this, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. These had to be the greatest Bible studies ever. I can just picture Jesus sitting around a campfire demonstrating verse after verse how he fulfilled every messianic prophecy. The disciples must have been spellbound. I can just hear them now. Now I get it. No wonder we see such a turnaround in their lives when we get to the book of Acts. Truth number two, when Jesus said it is finished, he satisfied the law. Tetelestai was used in Jesus' day as a judicial term. It was used by the courts. When a prisoner had served his time and made restitution for his crimes, the judge would stamp on his prison sentence the word tetelestai. Justice has been served. You've served your time. It's finished. Folks, you and I have a problem. James chapter 2, verse 10 explains the problem. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. All it takes is one little misstep in our lives, and by that we're called sinners. Romans 3.23 says this, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We can't weasel out of the court's charge by saying we've never sinned. And nobody has ever been saved from the penalty of sin by being good. Nobody has made it to heaven 
by being good enough. Why? Because none of us have ever been good enough when measured up against God's standard. You know, the law of Moses that was given to Moses, even the Ten Commandments, only serves to communicate God's standard for behavior and then to demonstrate to us that we can't achieve the standard. We have a big problem. We need a rescuer. But there's good news to come. Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4 proclaim it. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature. Here are the best two words of this verse. God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so He condemned, condemned sin in the sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. You could study that for hours and try to figure out what it means. Here is what it's saying. What it's saying is that what the law required but could not do, Jesus did, and He did it for you, and He did it for me. Jesus was the only person who ever kept every law in the Bible. Romans 10 verse 4 says, Christ is now the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. And because Jesus kept every law, because He finished and satisfied the law, He qualified in His Father's eyes to complete the next step, which is truth number three. Jesus paid our penalty. Jesus paid our penalty. Well, what is the penalty for sinners? Romans 6.23 says it pretty clear. For the wages of sin is death. That's our sentence. We're all sinners, right? We're all doomed to death, right? Wrong. You know, in the Old Testament, God had provided a way of forgiveness for the sins of the Jews through the sacrifice of a lamb. In this sense, then, the word tetelestai is used as a business term. It means paid in full. The problem was the sacrifice of the lamb was not sufficient for full payment. And so God commanded the Jews to perform the sacrifice over and over and over every year. The sacrifice of the lamb was not tetelestai because it could never fully repay the debt. Only Jesus could have finished the payment because only Jesus lived a life free from sin. And He only had to pay it once. No more annual resacrifices. Hebrews chapter 7 and then again in chapter 10 say this. Chapter 7, He sacrificed for their sins once for all when He offered Himself. Chapter 10, where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. It's finished. It's completed. Victory. Now, we only read part of Romans 6.23. We read the bad news. For the wages of sin is death. Here's the rest. Here's the good news. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Emphasize free. What we earned, our wages as sinners, was death. 
what we get instead, for free, undeserved, is eternal life because Jesus has taken care of the bill, paid in full. Truth number four, when Jesus said it is finished, he conquered sin and death. The war over sin, the war over death is won. Victory. When we invite Jesus Christ into our lives, we are immediately saved from the penalty of sin. Then, for the rest of our mortal lives, through the work of the Holy Spirit, we are saved from the power of sin. We now have the power to say no to things we previously couldn't say no to. Bad habits, hurts, hang-ups, sinful temptations. Not that you or I are never going to sin anymore. We know that we will every day. But now we have the power not to sin, the power to make a choice. In effect, Jesus is saying this, you know, those bad habits, those addictions, those times when you might be tempted, even to say the, the littlest white lie, those hurts, those areas of unforgiveness in your lives, I'm going to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit who will walk alongside you and give you the power to say no, to resist. And not only then are we saved from the power of sin, we are saved from the power of death. Hard question. Are you afraid to die? That's from the devil. He wants you to be afraid because when we fear death, we lose effectiveness in our lives. Yes, God gives us this sort of inbuilt desire not to die because he wants us to live a life of abundance. But fear of dying, no. Jesus' finished work on the cross eliminates that fear. He was victorious over death, and so are we. Romans 6, 4 gives us the promise that we can eliminate this fear and we can live an abundant life. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Finally then, truth number five. When Jesus says it is finished, he defeated the devil. The war over Satan is won. Victory. Well, really? Seems like when Jesus dies, Satan's the winner. It sure seems like Satan is still kind of hanging around a lot, gets in the middle of our lives a lot, doesn't it? But hear this, when Jesus said, it is finished, and he claimed victory over Satan, he landed a fatal blow on Satan's final plan for your life. Colossians 2.15 gives us a powerful truth. Listen to this. God took away Satan's power to accuse you of sin, and he openly displayed to the whole world Christ's triumph at the cross where your sins we're all taken away. Satan can't accuse you anymore because Jesus has already paid the debt for your sin, the sins of the past, the sins of the present, the sins of the future. You know, if Satan accuses a believer, a member of God's family, of some sin before God, you know what God's answer is? I don't see a sin committed by this person. 
Hebrews 10, 17, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Wiped clean. Jesus took them. So why is Satan still messing with us? I think it's sort of like a prisoner on death row. He knows his destiny, yet in his evil mind, he wants to take as many people with him as he possibly can. But remember this. Satan's death warrant is already signed. And although he can still try to mess you up, he's cooked. He's finished. If you believe in Christ's finished work on the cross, Satan can't accuse you. Okay, I want to bring this a little closer to home. Life is hard sometimes, isn't it? Doesn't victory just seem like it's a million miles away sometimes? Or maybe even that victory is something that we get to enjoy later when we die and go to heaven? Well, I'd like to tell you a story of some friends of Kathy and me, a story that is playing out right now. We attended two different churches with Gary and Lori. This was years ago before we came to Canyon Hills. Best of friends. We camped together at Yosemite We spent a week on a houseboat at Lake Powell. You really have to be friends to do that. They loved on us when our children were born with severe disabilities. Gary's my age. He's 60. Five years ago, at 55, so young, he was diagnosed with early-onset Alzheimer's disease. And in the ensuing five years, it has progressed so rapidly that now to the point where Gary rarely ever speaks... He can't keep his balance. He doesn't seem to know his closest family and friends. I haven't seen Gary in these five years, but I've seen him in pictures, and he has this faraway look in his eyes. I have other friends with Alzheimer's disease, none so young, none nearly so severe. To the world, Gary's gone but not to his wife, Lori. Yes, Lori needs to provide full-time care for him, including bathing, dressing, toileting, eating. Meals take over an hour. Oral care. He bites sometimes. Shopping is stimulation overload, so they just don't go out much. She has to hide the knives because Gary forgets that they're sharp. Up until last month, Gary went to a daycare facility for a few hours each week to give Lori some time off. But now they've told Lori that they can't care for him anymore. She's on her own. He's 60 years old. And although it appears his body is weakening a bit, most of the degradation is mental. Gary could live this way for many years. Well, Lori's keeping a blog so that we can follow the road that she and Gary now travel. And I want you to hear some of what Lori has to say. She says this, God is working His plan in our lives. And I'm looking forward to what that might be. This trial has been humbling for me as I'm forced to wait and see what God wants for us. And this, God has graciously given me an eternal perspective. This life is brief in light of forever, and therefore, I can have the pleasure of knowing that this life is beautiful, and there is a good work going on here. 
This momentary setback, she says, is just a part of the process of bringing about a beautiful plan, and we are privileged to be involved. This one was in response to hearing that Carrie's daycare was being discontinued. And the title of the blog post, Bad News? I think not. And then she said this, Gary may forget all things. God will not forget him. Sure, Lori has her tough days. She's saddened by what has happened to her soulmate and gets more than her share of bad news as this disease progresses and Gary goes deeper and deeper into a world only he lives in. She isn't walking around with a big grin on her face. She's no superwoman. She's merely a woman of great faith. She says this, It makes me sad to be reminded of Gary's decline in health by sometimes cry out to the Lord that it hurts to lose my best friend. And it's hard work, too. But, she says, God is enough for us. I trust him. He has proven over and over that he does not bring anything into our lives that is unkind. And there are no mistakes. You see, Lori truly knows the meaning of victory. She knows that Jesus came to fulfill Scripture, to lay the law aside, to pay her penalty in Gary's. She knows that he was victorious over sin and death and Satan. And because she knows these truths, really knows them, she can experience victory, not just later, but now. Jesus was victorious for us, and because he did it for us, we can be assured that the victory is ours. Is life just hard right now? Does it seem to be a losing battle? Do you feel defeated? Health, job, financial situation, family relationships. My friends, victory doesn't have to seem like it's a million miles away. You can experience victory here, now, as Lori is. That may not make the hard times go away quite as fast as you like. It probably won't for Lori. But hear this. It keeps your eyes on Jesus and what he did to bring victory now and forevermore to you. Remember, God wins. And so you win too. Well, I want to close with this. Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher from the 19th century, once preached a sermon called The Unfinished Work of Every Christian. His message had three pleas to it. The first plea, let us hear the text and understand it. I hope we did just that. Victory was Jesus. But what he finished on the cross, he finished for us. So victory is ours. The second plea, let us hear and wonder. Do you not wonder at the work Christ has done on the cross and rejoice it is a finished work? 
Do you not wonder that this finished work gives us victory now and for all eternity? And then the third plea, let us publish it. Will you not tell others of Jesus' finished work? Will you not show it in how you live a victorious life that is founded on the finished work of Jesus? This, my friends, is your unfinished work. Let's pray. And while your heads are bowed, I want to read the words of an old hymn. I heard an old, old story how a Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning of his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sin and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. While your heads are still bowed, my friends, if you have never received Jesus Christ and the victory that comes with it, there is never a better time than the present. What do you do? You accept the finished work of Jesus on the cross. You believe it. Then you live it out. If you would like to receive the gift of salvation that Jesus offers to you freely, pray this prayer in your heart with me. Jesus, thank you that you've done everything I need to be saved. You've forgiven me. You've done everything I need to be free from things that mess up my life. Thank you for doing it all. Thank you that it's finished. I believe in you. I admit I am a sinner in need of rescuing, and I want to change. I accept your free offer to take my sin, accept me into your family, and help me live a life that will please you. I pray this in Jesus' name. My friends, if you have prayed this prayer in earnest, welcome to God's family. You now share in this victory Jesus won at the cross. Tell somebody, tell a friend, family member, tell somebody here at this church. We would love to celebrate with you and help you on your new life in Christ. And Lord, for those of us who know you, victory still seems like it's a million miles away sometime. Life is hard. But we can have victory here and now. We don't have to wait for heaven to celebrate that victory and to revel in it, and to enjoy it. Lord, help us fix our eyes on you. And because of your victory at the cross, we can celebrate that victory with you right now. Lord, thank you for all you have done for us, so undeserved. We pray all these things in your name. Everybody said, Amen.